Welcome to the Minimum Viable Podcast, a project of the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum. Our mission is to inspire, connect, and empower people in order to promote a culture of innovation in the U.S. national security community. You can learn more about DEF and get involved at DEF.org. That's D-E-F dot O-R-G. We look forward to your ideas and are excited to connect you with other doers working on hard problems. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's discussion on the Minimum Viable Podcast. Super excited to have Alex Gorsuch, our Chicago Agora lead, on the uh, line today. And we are going to look at Sibber and Sitters from stem to stern, uh, from beginning to end. Uh, I'm Trish, the Executive Director of the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum and a dedicated, um, you know, just fan of getting things from ideation to purchase. Um, Sibber and Sitter are great tools there. And Alex, I would love if you would kind of introduce yourself and tell us a little bit of your journey that got you here to this podcast to help us understand Sibber and Sitter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, first, thanks for having me, Trish. Uh, this subject is near and dear to my heart and it's been foundational both to my career, um, as well as in my opinion, our strategy of national security and innovation. Uh, so in terms of my background, uh, I've been utilizing the Cyber program for a hmm, very long time, um, over 10 years now. Uh, my first business, I was building uh, stuff for um, asymmetric warfare um, assay kits for like chemical, biologic, radiologic, and nuclear threat detection. Um, and I utilized the Cyber program extensively. Um, I did the thing that a lot of first-time founders do, um, and which, spoiler alert, is a common failure in seeking Cyber funding and Sitter funding. Uh, and I fell in love with my tech and the product that I was building rather than the problem itself. Um, fast forward a bit, um, taught for five years. I taught National Science Foundation's i program. I taught some National Security Innovation Network programming, um, including Defense Innovation Accelerator, as well as Hacking for Defense. Um, I also taught a program for Army Research Lab called Mission Transition. And fundamentally, all of these programs are, hey, you've got cool tech. Who cares? What operational problem are you going to solve? How are you going to make someone's life safer, save money, a significant amount of money, or a significant amount of time? Because that's why people adopt technologies. They adopt solutions to problems, not patents, not investors, not anything else. Uh, additionally, I ran the Federal and State Technology Center of Excellence for Cyber and Sitter funding and government contracting for the state of Illinois. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and uh, additionally, then at my current venture, um, we've actually secured two direct to phase two um, cyber contracts um, from the U.S. Air Force. I love it. So we clearly have an expert in the field, but you know what we did, uh, Alex, I probably uh, fouled this up jumping right in. We did the thing that does not happen when we're doing 101s, right? So we started talking about sibbers and sitters. So for the audience uh, that we're talking to that are just kind of like getting their feet wet in this. So Sibber is the Small Business Innovation Research Program and Sitter is the Small Business Technology 
technology transfer program, they're usually kind of uh, thought of hand in hand. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that we kept it at the 101 level and before we started using acronyms that we introduced them. So uh, that'll be our, our first one for uh, today to talk about what the SIBR and SITR is. Um, so in, in very general terms, again, because we're uh, talking to an audience that maybe is just learning about this, how would you describe uh, the SIBR and SITR program to someone who's never heard of it before? Sure, um, single word, excellent. Longer series of words, they're really intended to meet federal research and development needs. Needs is critical because you actually have to identify a problem and you have to cast a solution towards that problem. Uh, they're also intended to uh, increase private sector commercialization of technology um, and encourage participation by underrepresented groups. Um, I want to quickly note the difference between a SIBR, as you said, Trish, small business innovation research, and a SITR, small business technology transfer. They are fundamentally very similar. Both you have to show, hey, this will solve an operational concern for a real customer with real money. The biggest difference, however, is that a sitter has to involve a research institution. It can be a university, it can be a federal lab, et cetera, um, but they have to. Whereas a sitter, you can get a research institution involved it depends, but generally up to 33% of the work can be done by a research institution, whereas for a sitter, at least 30% of the work has to be done by a research institution. That is good to know. And to be honest, um, I did not know that before this. So I think that we will save some of the um, binning and matching of technologies for a more advanced discussion. But generally speaking, research and engineering under Secretary Heidi Hsu has said, hey, these are my technology priorities for research and engineering. Smart companies go to that list and see themselves in one of those descriptions and then are able to say, in the portfolio of artificial intelligence, this is my offering and this is how it's a unique value proposition to the Department of Defense. But we'll save that for maybe a more advanced discussion because we wanna focus on the SIBR and SIDR programs. So tell me about your experience of using SIBR and SIDR yourself. I know a little bit about it, but let's tell the audience as well. And, and you know, I, I know it's easy to focus on the good, but maybe you can focus on some of the lessons that you wish you could go back and tell Alex at the beginning of his experience with these programs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hey, if I had a time machine, there would be so much stuff that I'd tell myself, SIBR related and otherwise. Um, and just want to note that when I say SIBR throughout this conversation, I'm referring to both SIBR and SIDR programs. Consider the term interchangeable for the purposes of this topic. Um, so like I said, my first business I did the thing that every single first-time founder does, not just on the cyber front, but on every aspect, whether it was team building or seeking investment or et cetera, because they are all so fundamentally intertwined. I focused so much on the technology, on the potential solution that I thought that I was providing. Uh, my very first cyber uh, proposal, uh, note, I did not get it. Um, I was like, 
20, I was like 22, I think, 23. Uh, it was to the National Science Foundation. Um, it was for a, a ruggedized solar-powered assay that could run um, gel electrophoresis and loop-mediated isothermal amplification, um, which is just you know, fancy bio stuff. Um, but effectively, I did what almost every single first-time cyber proposal writer does, where they say, you know, here's my technology. Look at how great it is. And I know it's going to be great. And I know I'm going to be successful because I Googled how many doctors there are in Doctors Without Borders. And, and I know that this technology could solve every single one of their problems or the need for rapid diagnosis in the field. Did I ever talk to a single one of these people? No, of course not. That would be ridiculous. Why talk to a customer if you're trying to build a technology? Um, yeah, that was the biggest thing that I wish that that I could tell myself. Ah, that's very cool. Yeah, I, I um, have had more than one conversation of uh, people very much enamored with their technology who may not really uh, understand anything about a DoD customer other than they have very deep pockets. So that is definitely something that not only, um, you know, entrepreneurs and innovators in the cyber sitter space need to know, but I would say product market fit and customer discovery is the foundation of every entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, so when you think about Cyber, uh, what makes it different than other grant programs? I mean, why is this something that is really kind of, you know, putting wind in the sails of a lot of innovation efforts? Yeah, it's another great question. So I'm going to answer um, and then I'm going to add an asterisk to that. So fundamentally, the coolest thing about the Cyber program is that it is uniform big asterisk because it changes the minutia of where you apply, how you apply, the funding amounts, the, the phase amounts, the timeline, how many, all, all sorts of things change agency by agency. Um, there are 12 different agencies that run the CIBR program by congressional mandate, but fundamentally what's really, really cool about the CIBR program is that they're very challenging to get. And I know that sounds negative, that sounds scary, but they're looking for three things. They're looking for, could this solve an actual problem that could be sustained in a capitalist free market, if not buoyed up by government dollars? Does this solve a real technical challenge? Is this difficult? And is the team capable of executing? both to build the super duper cool technology they're proposing, but more important, once the technology exists, can it be capitalized on? Less than 5% of US patents are ever commercialized. And guess what? The amount of Zibber funded technology that also is commercialized, it ain't 100% either. Uh, but fundamentally, those three things that the Zibber program really pushes on small business concerns, it's incredible. It's a crucible that forces us to be better. I like that. I, I like being pushed to be better. That's awesome. So I know that you've talked a little bit about how Cibber and Sitter are different already, um, but do you have any thoughts about the the persona or the you know kind of typical entrepreneur that should go after a Cibber versus the ones that should go after a Sitter and why? That's a great question. So I would say that it's not 
necessarily a specific to the entrepreneur, though it can be specific to the market or the technology you're building. Um, the biggest thing that I would say is it depends if you have a good research institute that will do good work that you're not going to spend ages dealing with their sponsored programs office with, because you probably will, you just want to minimize that amount of time. Universities and federal labs love their red tape and bureaucracy um, and docu-signs. Um, but, you know, fundamentally, do you need them? Um, I see a lot of first-time sitter applicants who will say things like, oh, well, I'm going to work with insert XYZ university here, and that'll overcome, you know, my technical shortcomings as a team. Um, it can do that a little bit. But fundamentally, if you're banking on involvement of XYZ, you know, fancy university to get your sitter, you're probably not going to get it either. Um, additionally, you want to find a research institute that is closely aligned with the research direction that you're pursuing. And most importantly, productization. Now, you know, universities are terrible at productization. What I mean by productization in this context is, do they understand the operational and transactional landscape that you're aiming to build your technology to capitalize on? Well, there's a lot to think about in these programs. Hey, we're going to take a break for a quick minute and uh, give everybody a chance to kind of uh, recharge their glasses, depending on what time of day they're listening to this. Maybe it's coffee, maybe it's something a little bit colder and frostier, but we're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about what the government is looking for or these sponsoring agencies are looking for in the small businesses that they bring into the Sitter program. We'll be right back. Okay, hey, welcome back. Uh, still talking about the Cyber Sitter programs at the 101 level. And um, Alex, I know that you've kind of been in this for a long time, um, mostly on the entrepreneurial side. But if you can speak a little bit about what it's like to be on the sponsoring agent agency side and what you've learned that they're looking for in the small businesses uh, that they bring into this program and what businesses qualify. Mm. Yeah. So um, first, there are a few just kind of stage gates, um, you know, bullion checks that every small business, regardless of agency, must absolutely um, uh, hold to. Um, first and foremost, they must be for profit. Um, we are a capitalistic nation, so we want businesses to thrive and succeed and continue to be in operation, continue to create jobs to bring tax dollars in after they get super funding. Um, they have to be primarily, meaning 51% or more US-based. They have to have less than 500 employees <clears throat> um, average over the last 12 months. Um, if they are um, owned mostly by affiliates, venture capital, et cetera, um, they must follow those exact same requirements on employment and ownership. Um, they have to, the primary place of work performance must be in the United States. Um, and most importantly, it has to be fundamental R&D. Mm. It has to be really pushing the boundary. Uh, okay. And this is where it can vary a little bit. So it can't just be buying equipment, commercializing tech that already exists, um, you know, one that's very low risk and only needs capital. Okay, that sounds cool. Good to know. 
Yeah, I, I can imagine that, you know, software would probably eat the cyber uh, lunch, as it were, if it was just like, you know, the 2.0 or 3.0 technology development of stuff that's already being used. So um, there are there are phases of SIBRs, one, two, and three. Um, can you just briefly uh, describe those and maybe talk about the corresponding funding levels that go with those, just at a very top level? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it varies a lot, again, by agency. Um, like I said, the the strength of the SIBR program is that it's um, you know uniform with a big asterisk. Um, generally speaking, your phase one is going to be your concept development, right? Is this technically feasible? Is this commercially feasible? Can we build it? And do people care enough to give us money? Uh, that's what you're proving out. That can be six months to a year-ish, depends on that agency. Um, can be 50 to 250K-ish, depends on that agency. Um, and then if you're lucky, uh, you get to phase two, or you can do some really cool, like the Air Force and a few others, they have a direct to phase two program. Um, and that's where you get to that prototype development. So after you've proved out, yep, fundamentally, we can build the widget. And yes, fundamentally, humans will pay money for the widget. Um, that's when you get to your phase two. That can be a year to two years, depends on your agency can be between 450-ish to one and a half million-ish. Um, a number of agencies will match private investment if received typically after a phase two, um, which is a really, really cool program. <clears throat> um, the NSF does sometimes, um, the Air Force with Stratfy, TACFI, they have a really incredible program. Um, no, uh, then, I'm sorry, you introduced new acronyms. Sorry. You have to tell us about them, Stratfy and TACFI. Sorry, my bad. Um, so TACFI is the Tactical Funding Initiative and the Strategic Funding Initiative. Um, they will match uh, sometimes one-to-one, -one, sometimes two-to-one, depending on where you fit, to pre-orders, sales, private investment, et cetera. Um, additionally, a number of states um, have matching programs for SIBRs, which uh, those programs, every single state should have them because they show a massively outsized return in job creation, retention, and new businesses moving to states um, that have those matching programs. That's amazing. So I can see now why there was so much interest in the fall of last year in getting this congressionally reauthorized. Um, so just, again, just a small tangent on this one, but do you remember that season of like, will Sibber, won't Sitter? Um, how did that feel to you as a company that's really kind of leveraging Sibber and Sitter to the maximum extent? Uh, yeah, so, you know, both professionally and my current venture at Ascent, but as well through my life, the Cyber program has had um, just in, in really incredible outsized impact. Um, it's had a prime influence on my life since I was like 22. Um, so it's incredible. Uh, I remember posting quite a few, uh, let's say at best, impassioned pleas, uh, sometimes at worst, angry letters, um, you know, Sometimes uh, representation needs to get its head out of its behind and support these kinds of programs that are just transformative and enabling of so much growth and security and innovation in our nation. 
That's fantastic. I was really glad when that came through as well. So I've got one more uh, question kind of in this section. If your technology doesn't have a patent, like let's say I'm just working on it now and kind of maybe new in this space or, you know, for whatever reason, I, I'm building something, but it's not patented. Are you still allowed to go after cyber programming or cyber money in that, in that situation? Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, yet again with an asterisk. So the only situation where you would not be allowed is if you do not have unencumbered access to the intellectual property. What that means is if you're licensing a technology from, sorry, what that means is if you, you would have unencumbered access if you were licensing the technology. Now, if you were to apply to a SIBR and say, you know, oh, you know, whatever, um, you know, Navy Surface Warfare Center crane, you know, has this super cool technology and yeah, I'll probably license it um, and write a cyber around. I'll probably license it. That is not unencumbered access to the IP. Um, so generally, yes, um, you do not you do not need a patent to uh, pursue cyber or sitter funding. Um, like with everything else in a startup's life, the further along, the more intentional, the well thought out you are, whether it's with your dilutive, non-dilutive, um, or contract funding. Um, the more thought out, the better you are, right? If you have a patent um, or multiple patents, a whole suite of patents, then you are more likely to get cyber funding. Um, but as long as you have access to the IP, as long as someone else doesn't patent it, and as long as you have a clear plan to get that, um, then yeah, it's fair game. That sounds amazing. Okay, we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we're going to talk about um, what I like to call the journey map, but maybe have you take us through some of the steps of what it actually takes to like start writing those grants that you've talked about, submitting, waiting, finding out, discovering, you know, what it really feels like to kind of walk that journey. So we're going to take one more quick break and then we'll be back with Alex Gorsuch talking more about Cyber Sitter 101. Hi, I'm Daniel Holter. A few years ago, some collaborators and I realized the cavalry wasn't coming for us innovators and innovation enablers in the national security trenches trying to affect change. We started the Community of Practice Agitare as a convening space for synchronous events and asynchronous dialogue, a place to grow through practice in fields of facilitation, design, sense-making, futures, systems thinking, and more. We can all become the catalysts of change that we hope to see. Find Agitare on LinkedIn, YouTube, and agitare.def.org where you can join us on Slack. Okay, Alex, we're back. And we're going to talk to the Alex of, you know, 10 years ago, starting with Cyber Sitter. Um, so maybe one of the questions I would say is a like warm up question. Part one of the question is, where do you go to get the best information? And then, you know, just kind of tell us how do you apply and what is the application process like? Sure, absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, um, just with agencies determining who is eligible, there's a certain amount of just registration checklists that you got to do. And if you don't do them uh, right or don't do them at all, you can and will not get funding, even if you get a contract. Um, I've had a number of companies that I advise that didn't fill out a, a, you know, a specific form correctly and, and weren't able to get their cyber fund, um, which is heartbreaking. Uh, so first and foremost, and I hope this isn't a surprise, you need to be a for-profit entity. Um, you need to form an LLC is perfectly fine. Um, you know, 
probably generally speaking, C-Corps get more. That is not because they are a C-Corp. That is because they are typically further along. They have, they probably have some dilutive investment, um, which will, you know, make them be less of a risk to um, reviewers. Um, you need to have a Duns number, um, Duns and Bradstreet, um, literally just Google Duns number, you'll find it. Um, you need to be registered in SAM.gov, a system for award management. You need to be registered on SIBR.gov. You need a cage code. You need a lot of stuff. Um, and then the really fun part, as I said, the SIBR program is uniform, asterisk. Um, there is a whole bunch of different ways to submit for every single agency. Um, none of them are standard. Um, DHS has their own portal. DOD has DSIP, the Defense SBR Innovation Portal. Uh, NIH has ERA Commons. NSF has Fastlane. There's a whole bunch of different ones. Um, so figure out the specific one. Now, I know what you're thinking. Gosh, this is confusing. Where do I go to find out how to get my business registered and, and, and set up and everything? Um, should I hire one of the many, many consultants out there who I can pay mere thousands of dollars to, to get registered right on Duns and everything else. Um, don't do that. The industry is, it is a cottage industry of some real saints and a whole bunch of um, blood sucking monsters. Uh, so- <laughs> I love that you are just calling it as it is. Yep. <laughs> that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm here for. Um, so there are, last time I checked, 24 federal and state technology centers across the U.S. Um, these are funded by the SBA. They are they exist for the sole purpose of helping small business concerns get SBIR and STTR funding to get registered in the right way, to get all the forms filled out, et cetera. Um, additionally, there are a whole bunch of, they used to call them PTACs, Procurement and Technical Assistance Centers. Most states have like one to four. Um, they now, I believe, call them Apex Accelerators. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, the Apex Accelerators are now realigned. They have left alignment with the Defense Logistics Agency, and they are now directly aligned with the Office of Small Business Programs for the Department of Defense. And you are exactly right. They will have a long list of things that they will support small businesses in, and they do that at no cost to the business owners. They're really just worth their weight in gold, the Apex Accelerator Centers. Thank you. Thank you, Trish. I didn't realize that's why the name change happened. That's great context. Um, yeah. So, like I said, don't go hire some, you know, uh, some some fly by night agency to do all this stuff that a is very easy and you can do yourself in an afternoon with Netflix on one screen and you know your 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 DSIP, your et cetera, all your your SAM.gov, all your many many plethora of registrations on the other screen. You can do it yourself in an afternoon. Um, just utilize your PTAC, your, your excuse me, your Apex Accelerator. Um, utilize your um, utilize uh, your local fast center, et cetera. Utilize a trusted mentor. Um, listen to podcasts like oh I don't know this one for example. Um, you know and and figure out what you need to do to be compliant without paying an arm and a leg to someone who might mess it up themselves. Um, two points I want to make regarding all these fun registrations. Um, first and foremost, and this sounds crazy that I have to say it, but start early. If you're even thinking, you know, gosh, one day I'd sure love to pursue this cyber thing. Register today. Start registering today. Sometimes it can take a month to get all this stuff in place, um, particularly lately. So just start it. 
What you don't want to do is be somebody sending me a panic text at 3 a.m. saying, gosh, I forgot to register. What can I do? Is there anything that can be done? Um, yeah, build a time machine. Go back in time and kick your own butt and get yourself moving. Um, and the other thing regarding not limiting yourself is for the NSF, for example, you don't need a cage code and you don't need to be registered on DSIP. Um, and for most of the cyber programs, when you're going on um, SAM.gov, you can click, um, I want to register for grants or I want to register for all awards. A lot of people don't understand that the DOD and a few other agencies are actually contracts, not grants. So if you elect to only have yourself available for grants and not all awards, you will actually be ineligible for DOD SIVRs. Again, I've known a number of companies who made that mistake and couldn't get their P1 from the DOD. It's heartbreaking. Um, so if you think there's even a chance, and guess what? There is of you going to DOD, for example, for funding. Even if you really think NSF or NAH or whatever is your ballywick, just go ahead and spend the extra 15, 20 minutes and register for everything you can. Oh, that sounds awesome. So I'm I'm going to have one more question and then I'm just going to turn it over to you to let us know of anything that I haven't thought to ask um, that you would like to, you know, give at the 101 level. So I know that there are um, cyber topics and then there is the cyber open topic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and any of the um, like seasons for those cyber topics that come out? Hmm. Great question. Um, again, it's a uniform program with an asterisk. Um, so it depends on the agency you're going after. Um, NSF has phases, wink, wink, but not really. Um, they essentially are, are always open. Um, and then something like the DOD, you know, they have, I believe, four phases now. Um, they release depending on cycle. Um, effectively, there is probably always a cyber topic that is relative to what you do. Um, it might be in you know NSF, for example, because they always have an open topic um, relative to like DOD or you know USDA, et cetera, or even DHS or even IES, the education. They have very, very few topics, um, tiny. Um, even NOAA has one. But fundamentally, there is always, always a topic open that pretty much always fits your solution, even if it is an open topic. Well, that's amazing. So we're kind of getting to the, our, our finish line on this podcast. I think that we've covered lots of great things about what it is, how to get in, some mistakes to avoid, um, some seasons, some topics, some things you've learned along the way. So as we kind of draw it to a close, is there anything else on the like basic 101 level of Sibbers and Sitters that would be great for the audience to know? Sure. So I'll, I'll try not to, to rant too long, um, but a few things that I just wanted to add um, that I think are incredibly important. Um, so I see, I see small business concerns who are pursuing the cyber program, who don't have a sound research plan, who don't have a qualified team, who don't have letters of support who, like I said in my first NSF cyber proposal, who've really functionally never talked to a customer, who've just done a little bit of Googling and, you know, played around with a calculator built in and said, oh, well, you know, if I capture half a percent of this market, oh, I'm going to be a billionaire. 
Uh, for all of those businesses, the thing that will most determine your success is the amount of understanding of the operational, meaning how humans, and I'm using that very specific, very vague term because businesses don't buy technologies. DOD doesn't buy technologies. Humans do. Individual humans with needs, with problems. So how operationally technology gets implemented, but also the thing that a lot of people forget, transactionally, how technology is purchased, what life cycle does it have? Um, and then if you have a whole bunch of connections um, and understanding of your, of your customer base, um, Quick plug, the National Science Foundation has a fantastic program called i where they will teach you a very rigorous process of hazing yourself and doing customer discovery. Um, it's fantastic. It's free. Find an i site near you. Do it. It's awesome. Um, if you do really good high-impact discovery of operational and transactional concerns, you could get a letter of support. Now, a great, a perfect letter of support is like, Hi, I'm you know John Smith, CEO of you know Acme Anvil Company, and gosh, I love this technology. And once it's successful, I'd like to buy 20 million units. Um, that's kind of a pie in the sky. But you do want letters of support from end users, from regulators, from large OEMs in the space who are like, yeah, you know, fundamentally this solves our need, and we want to put it into practice. We want to purchase it transactionally and deploy it operationally. Um, the other thing is to think about that appropriate stage of development, where that technology is and where it's going. So I see a lot of teams who will send me like NSF project pitches. Um, that's the first stage of the NSF, for example. We can talk about that in another podcast if you want. Um, and, and they'll say, oh, yeah, you know, our goal is to develop the technology. Well, that doesn't mean anything. You need really, really specific stage gates of we will do X and we will know if we fail by Y. But here's what success means. Um, the final thing that I wanted to close with regarding Sibbers is I get this question a lot of like, oh, when should I do it? Should I wait? Should I wait until we have, you know, my previous advice, getting a letter of support? No. You should apply as soon as you can put together a somewhat reasonable proposal. Statistically, you will fail your first proposal. You'll probably fail your first five. That's okay, because each time you're learning, each time if you're taking appropriate um, feedback from what the panel review says, then you're learning, then you're applying. Um, I've seen a lot of companies who Frankly, I thought would never get a server who ended up getting it on their first try. Conversely, I've seen companies who I thought were just such a shoe-in for the program um, that ended up not getting it their first one or two times, but they did get it eventually. So fundamentally, if you're thinking to yourself, this program sounds really, really cool. Uh, this really you know, crazy looking guy talked about it a whole bunch. Um, pursue it. Go after it. Entrepreneurship and small businesses are built on hope and blind optimism and making the world better. And the way that you go after and you get resources and accrue resources for your team to develop the tech you need to make the world a better place, it's through belief. It's through getting out there and trying it, being optimistic, listening to feedback when you very likely don't get your first sieve or don't get your first investor or whatever you're going after. But fundamentally, 
If you're an entrepreneur, it means that you're a warrior. You're in the game as an entrepreneur because you have a curious mind that loves to solve problems. But what keeps you in the game is your warrior's heart, your ability to persevere, your ability to take chances and take risks. So go out there and get it. Well, I couldn't say it any better myself. Um, I'm super excited. I'm really glad that you took the time with us today on the Minimum Viable podcast today, Alex. Um, for those of you within the sound of our voice, thank you very much to Alex. Uh, check him out if you're in the Chicago land area. I learned that term when I was out there for the kickoff. Um, if you're in the Chicago land area, um, Alex has a great local chapter of the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum running in the Chicago Agora. You can visit def.org and find an Agora near you. It's also the place where you can join as a member or if you're, at, if you're in as a member, you can always join us as a volunteer and help us take it off from where we are to where we wanna be in the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum. I'm Trish Martinelli, your Executive Director. Thank you very much and we'll see you the next podcast. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We love ideas and feedback, so feel free to send your thoughts to hello at def.org. For more great content and to stay in the loop about community events and activities, follow us on social media and subscribe to our monthly newsletter. Everyone plays a part in building the innovative national security culture we want to see. To find where you fit, just go to def.org join. That's def.org join.